0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org.
1: All I can say is, Pastor Brian, your sermon better be good today. Because this has already been such a blessing. Every song we have sung this morning has had the clear message of the gospel. self-contained. And then... Um, Steve, your prayer was so good and all-inclusive. And then to watch little Caston be recognized this morning. Caston, a fourth-generation member of this church family this morning. What a blessing. You may be seated. Let's read scripture and pray in hopes that PB's message is decent this morning. His focus is narrow, so our scripture text is brief. John chapter 13, <clears throat> just verses 1 to 5. What an encouragement. I, I feel like I could go home right now and already have been blessed on this. I may, I may just go home and, right now. What time does in and out open? I'll wait till then. All right, from the ridiculous to the divine. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. To be continued, let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit anoint our pastor this morning as he deals with this text and approaches this story from Scripture, which is at once so comforting and convicting. Use him, I pray, to encourage these, your saints, both with that marvelous reassurance of your good news And that conviction required of a disciple in this day. For your glory, I pray. Amen. Hey, stick around. (laughs) Double, double. (laughs) Oh,
0: you're right. A great morning already. Uh, It's so good to be together. I'm going to focus on just the last half of the first verse. The part where it says, Jesus, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And it's, it's neat how what we have sung just fits so perfectly. You know... Jesus was fully man. But let's face it. This kind of love seems way beyond us. Now be honest. If you knew your closest friends were going to deny you and abandon you, which Jesus knew, if you knew that, would you be washing their feet? Or would you be What would be your attitude while washing their feet? Jesus loved them. Think of his patience. Think of his faithfulness, his commitment to love those who are who are so unworthy. There is a a depth of love that is so beautiful, so wonderful. And I suspect, no, I, I know we take it for granted. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what his disciples will do. That one of them is going to betray him. Another will deny him and the rest are going to abandon him in his greatest hour of need and for those who truly are his own he humbly serves he absolutely loves them to the end here's that 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 verse that Last half of verse 1. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. First of all, there are a people described as His own. And if you are to rightly know and appreciate the love of God, we need to rightly understand how. How did they, how did we, Come to be his own? And second, what does it mean that Jesus loved them? His own, which includes us, those of us who know and trust in Jesus. It includes us to the end. How has Jesus loved his own? And of course, we think of the cross, but there's more. I want to consider seven ways that he loves his own, but first, I want to think about. How did they, how did we become His own? And isn't this a, a great thought that, that Jesus loves you? Not you in general. If you have faith in Him, He loves you. Not you in general, but you in Particular not some faceless person in some future group of people out there, but that He was thinking of you, that He had you in mind as He gave Himself, as He suffered horribly, that He wanted so much to be in relationship with you that He faced the cross And was committed to go and suffer that he might continue to love you and be with you. Now the cross is about massive things, like the display of Christ's glory and God's justice, his vindication in overlooking sins of the past. The cross dealt with those sins so that so that we might be justly forgiven of our guilt. Declared to be righteous in his sight. The cross is about eternally significant, weighty, glorious truths. The cross is about more than you. You're not the center of the universe. And certainly Jesus wasn't saying, Wow, now now that's a special person. I gotta have that person. They really stand out. They're cream of the crop they're they're better than the rest that no yes he loves us but it wasn't because we stood out as being better than the rest no scripture tells us that it's more like hosea you know the story hosea purchasing back his unfaithful wife who is described as a whore. That's more like it. His love communicates much about himself and how great he is, and we are the recipients of his love. He really does love us and know us and choose each of us by name to become his own. He's not... He's not using you only for the purpose of making much of Himself. Yes, He is glorified in such a great love, but He he really does love you. You really are loved that much. So much that He willingly died on the cross for you. My point is, His love is not a general love. It's not an impersonal love that's, that's just thrown out there for some unknown person to grasp. No, His Word declares that for those whom He loved, He also predestined. Those whom He knew. Those whom He wanted to make His own, to have a, an intimate relationship with before you had done anything good or bad. Before the foundation of the world. You, he chose and he predestined and he called to be his own, justifying you at the cross and guaranteeing you glory. Wow. His love for you is not general, it's particular, it's personal, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Now, wouldn't it be weird, instead of embracing and reveling in this wonderful biblical truth, to say, well, that's not fair. Shouldn't I have some say? Shouldn't I be the one to initiate this relationship? As if left to ourselves we ever would. Wouldn't it be strange to say, I don't think I feel very free in this decision. I don't think I like this very much. Shouldn't it be an impersonal gift that I decide to take instead of him thinking of me and doing whatever is necessary to break through and love me? Huh? Why would anyone think that way? Why would anyone think that God's love is more loving if it's impersonal and general and utterly dependent upon me to initiate. But sadly, most Christians miss the depth of God's love because they think this way. They hold free will up as some ultimate display of love instead of God. God freely choosing an unworthy bride, a whore, who would never want Him. And yet His love and mercy and kindness is so great that He sovereignly works to change our hearts. He takes away the sinful scales that blind, blind us and cause a resistance in order to bless us with the best possible blessing of all. And now we want to be His own because of what He has done. Now that, now that, that is Love. That is love. Yes, there is a general love for for all people in that they are humans who are made in the image of God and that is precious. And He gives them so many undeserved blessings in life. People often say, you know, why does God allow all these horrible things to happen in the world? The better question is, how, how does God bless all these people who spit in his face continually? How is he so good? That's, that's the, the greater mystery. But then there is a particular love for his own, for his sheep, for his bride, for the elect. If you are a Christian, then Jesus not only thought of you in particular as he died for you, but God thought of you and determined before creation to love you through the cross of Christ. And I say all of this because our text says that Jesus loved his own. And he loved them to the end So let's quickly consider three ways that God made us His own. First, we see that Christ chose us. Jesus says to His disciples in John 15, 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. Jesus, He's not denying that the disciples, yes, they did decide to follow Him. No, His point is that the the ultimate choice is that initiated them becoming His own, that was His choice. Jesus is the initiator of the relationship. His choice was the ultimate determining factor of whether or not they would be His disciples. He chose them. And this is how it is with us. Jesus chose us. And because He chose us, we were changed and then we because of His choice, because of the work of the Spirit, then we responded to Him in faith. There is an order to becoming His own. It began with Him choosing us. And then, because of His particular work in us, we responded in faith. And we know that it was not only a choice, it was a purchase. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own, for you were bought. You were bought with a price. Jesus chose his own, and in choosing, Jesus also purchased his own. He, He made us his own by redeeming us from our sins at the cost of his own life. Second, believers are Christ's own because we were given to him by the father. We were given to him by the father. Jesus said in John six, Jesus said in John six, all that the father gives me will come to me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day again before the foundations of the world. The Father determined to love. Not some impersonal, faceless group of people. No, He foreknew you. He determined to give you, you in particular, to His Son Jesus. And every person that the Father gave to Jesus will, without any doubt, without any failure, come to Jesus. This is the the declaration of Jesus. All, all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. And all of these will be kept secure in Christ and raised at the last day. This is the will of the Father. And He cannot fail in what He ordains. What a beautiful, what a secure Love with which we have been loved. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world that, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. For, now, I understand. From your perspective, from my perspective, you, can, you became His own when? When? When you embrace the good news of Jesus. Yes, from your perspective, you made a decision. You embraced Jesus, the good news of the gospel. But from God's perspective, that's what we're looking at here. There are two perspectives. From God's perspective, you were his loved one before the foundation of the world. You in particular. We see the same truth in Jesus's. As Jesus prays to his Father in John 17, yours, he prays to the Father, yours they were. Speaking of you, yours they were, and you gave them to me. This is what Jesus prayed. So believers are Christ's own because of the work of Jesus in choosing us, because of the work of the Father in giving us to the Son, and thirdly, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We are Christ's own because we were born again as children of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How did you become Christ's own? By seeing well, from your perspective, yeah. By entering into the kingdom? No. From this perspective, from perspective Jesus is talking about, no. According to Jesus, we could not see. We could not enter into the kingdom of God unless something happened first. So there is a very important order of events when we're looking at our salvation, our relationship with God from His perspective. Um, Events that describe how we came to be Christ's own. We don't see and enter into the kingdom of God and get born again. No, unless you are born again, you cannot see. You cannot come. There's an order that's really important. This is the sovereign work of the Spirit who opens the eyes of the blind, who changes hearts so that we want to come in. You get born again, and now you see, and now you want, and then you choose. And all that the Father gives will come. Jesus describes this work of the Spirit as being like the wind. We don't initiate. We don't control where the wind blows. It's the sovereign work of God. The wind blows where it wishes. Jesus loves us not because we're lovable and wonderful. No, no God has mercy on whom He has mercy. It's His choice to be gracious to us despite our incredible failures just as Christ chose to love His often foolish and self-centered and unbelieving disciples. Even at the very hour of the cross, denying Him and fearfully abandoning Him. J.C. Ryle observed, knowing perfectly well that they were about to forsake Him shamefully in a very few hours, in full view of their approaching display of weakness and infirmity, our blessed Master did not cease to have loving thoughts of His disciples. And oh, this this is good news for us. For we can rest assured of Jesus' love for us even when we fail Him, even when we continue to struggle in sin. We are prone to wander. We are faithless and failing in our efforts To rightly love and follow Him. And yet, we are still Christ's own. And we continue to enjoy His gracious, unfailing love for us. So instead of of that being a license to sin, instead of taking such glorious love for granted, we should marvel. We should marvel at such love. We should be moved all the more to live in ways that please Him. Jesus chose us. The Father gave us to Him. And the Spirit caused us to be born again. This is how you became one of His own. And our text tells us that He loved them. And so He loves us to the end. So, let's consider how. How has Jesus loved His own? First, looking backwards, we see that Jesus loved us by creating us. Yes, Jesus created us. John begins his Gospel pointing us back to creation, which should cause us to think of Genesis. John begins by writing, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Genesis 1, God says, Let us make man in our image. Christ is the Word by which man came into being. And He made us unique from the rest of creation. Unique in that We could become His own. We could enjoy a different and intimate kind of relationship with our Maker that no other part of creation could. James Boyce writes, He created us not to a meaningless existence, but to an existence that is the highest existence possible for any created object, namely communion with the One who created it. Jesus loved us by creating us with a dignity unlike any other part of creation. He made us to experience His love unlike any other and to have a soul satisfying joy of knowing and glorifying our Maker. What a privilege. What a joy. What love. Secondly, Christ loved us in His incarnation. John also tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why would He come if not love? Why would He set aside His heavenly glory? Why would He empty Himself and take the form of a servant? Why would He willingly go through a human birth? And become one of us. Why choose poverty instead of a palace? Why associate with sinners? Why, if not love? Oh, and what a great and incomprehensible love to give up so much, so much of what He deserves for the sake of you us, His own, for the sake of saving and redeeming, for the sake of our joy, our good, our satisfaction forever in Him, for the sake of an ongoing fellowship and deep friendship like none other. There, this is what love looks like. This is what we've been given. This is what He is working in us, transforming us And oh, how loving is the incarnation. Third, his particular love for his own is seen in the calling of his disciples. Matthew is a tax collector sitting in sin and Jesus approaches him and says, follow me. Peter, James, and John are just out fishing, mending their nets. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. Not an impressive bunch. And this is true of each of us. Left to ourselves, we are sinners, unworthy of His attention, unworthy of this kind of love. But He called you. He spoke to you. He graciously brought you to Himself. And it wasn't for, it wasn't for what we could add. It wasn't for what we could offer Him. It wasn't some contribution to the kingdom that he was really in need of. It wasn't that we could give him, but for what he could do for us, what he could make of us. Paul said that you were called to freedom, freedom from sin's bondage, freedom from worldly thinking and living, from the misery that goes along with it, freedom from the the trap, the allurement of sinful pleasures that that never truly satisfy, that ultimately leave you wanting more. And in calling us, He gives us a rich, glorious inheritance. It is the love of Christ for His own. Fourth, as we look back, we see that Jesus loved His own by teaching and leading them. During the three years of discipleship. He loved his own by, by teaching, by leading them. And they, what did they say about that? Have we ever heard teaching like this before? Have we ever heard anyone speak with such authority? How often we would imagine Jesus pulling his disciples aside after a parable and explaining it to them, to his own. And upon reflection, did the disciples, did they see the great patience of Jesus as they, as they spoke with such pride, as they had silly questions at times, and they made arrogant objections to Him, as they failed Him and didn't understand Him. The patience, the love of Jesus in leading, in teaching them and us. Jesus taught them that if they abide in his word they will truly be his disciples they will know the truth and the truth will make them free and he says the same to us if if they had known the think of it if they had known the dangers if they had known what their lives would lead to would they have followed him would they have come but Jesus being the good shepherd he guided them beside still waters he restored their burdened souls and he led them in paths of righteousness why because he loves his own and this is true for us as well in every joy and suffering in every discovery in every confusion we can say the same that he loves his own that the Lord is the Lord is my Shepherd I don't I'm not in want because he is my shepherd. Looking back, this is how Jesus loves his own, but now John John points us to the future and what awaits Jesus and his disciples. In light of his coming execution, what would happen to them? As Jesus faced his final hour, how would he provide for them? How would He love them? And John tells us that Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus didn't just love them up until this point, up until the point of of His betrayal, up until the point of the trial and execution, up until the point of having to leave them in the world. No, He kept on loving them to the end. Jesus loves His own to the end of His life. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends with a cross so near. Certainly this is what John had in mind when he says Jesus loved his own to the end. If loving his own requires his death and forgiveness of their sins, then Jesus loves us to the end. One author wrote, Oh, how he loved them when He took their sins with Him into judgment and cast Himself into the fire which their transgressions had kindled, how He loved them when His own blood did not seem seem to Him too dear a price to be paid for them. Although it was they who were the transgressors, He loved them to the end, and to this day He loves them that are His in similar manner. Not that we could ever repay what Christ has done for us, but at the realization of what He willingly did in our place. When we realize what He really did in our place, shouldn't this change us? Shouldn't it change us? We are, we are so far removed from the reality of this ancient method of execution the public humiliation and shame, the utter gore of the beating, the brutality of crucifixion. We are, we're familiar with the idea, the idea of Jesus dying for us, but the reality, the reality of someone stepping in front of you and saying, no, not him, not her, Punish me instead. How would it change us if we were actually at the gallows? How would it change us if we were at the firing squad? If we were at the torture rack? If we were about to be stripped naked in public and horribly, violently beaten and mocked and killed and to have someone Motivated by love, step in and take our place. How would this, how should this, this is the reality. How should this change how we live? How we love Him? How when confronted with a choice, a choice of either obeying His command Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So with this reality in mind, when we're confronted with a choice of either obeying him or looking at porn, obeying him or getting drunk, obeying him or dishonoring our parents, obeying him or telling a lie, even even a small one that seems insignificant, obeying him or grumbling over what we don't have, obeying him or gossiping, stealing from our boss by not working hard when we're on the clock seems small. Why the disconnect? Do we forget the cross? Do we forget that He loved us in particular? Stepped in, took our place. He loved us to the very end. Do we? Yes. All the time. And so we need to keep coming back to this reality. We need to see it for what it is. A love so great that it should compel us to pray to abide in His Word, to stay connected to His church, to grow in our faith, our love for Him, knowing that Jesus said if we love Him, we will obey Him. We can never repay. And guilt is not the point. But to realize such love, one would think it would produce a response of loving obedience. And a desire to honor and live a life worthy of such love. Number six, Jesus loved us not only to the end of his life, but to the end of theirs. And he will love you to the end of yours. Think of how the sheep scattered when their shepherd was on the cross. Peter denied him. The others ran and hid. And for years to come, so much would be demanded of them. As they served their master, they would be persecuted and abused and unjustly accused and oh, so tempted to just be quiet. And how would they endure? How could cowards hope to go and turn the world upside down as we considered as we considered last week the answer to this is the resurrection they saw him and even when he was ascended returning to the father he was with them he loved them to the very end of their lives you know i love the thought of jesus being with us in our sufferings. And we see this reality, this truth, when Saul of Tarsus, right, he's persecuting the church, and Jesus appears to Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, and what did he say? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And there's great significance to what he just said What he said there, he didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting them? Why are you persecuting my own? He said, why are you persecuting me? Meaning, Jesus was with them. Loving them in their sufferings. So much so that their sufferings were his sufferings. He was still loving them. He loved them to the very end. And he loves you. He is with you to the very end. And this is why the chapters to come in John focus so much on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus could say it was to their advantage that he go, because if he didn't go, the helper would not come. It's through the helper, through the spirit, that Jesus can be with us and commune with us, continuing to disciple and teach, continuing to guide and discipline, to give strength. And he does this through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 17, it's an exciting chapter to look at, for in it we hear Jesus actually praying for us, his own, asking the Father to continue the work of loving us. Jesus, he prayed, I am no longer in the world, but They are in the world, and I'm coming to You. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, which You have given Me. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. But now I'm coming to You. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have My joy fulfilled in themselves. I don't ask that You take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In this 17th chapter of John, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he mentions the world 18 times. And this is what we see in John 13. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knows That He has left His loved ones in the world. He knows that in this world there will be suffering and hardship. And without the love of Jesus, we cannot make it in this world. But Jesus, though He is physically gone, is with us. He knows our temptations. He knows our doubts. He knows our frustrations. He loves us to the very end of our lives. So Jesus gives us the gift of prayer. He prays for us. He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us in our weaknesses. Lastly, so Jesus loves us to the end of life, His life, to the end of our lives, and He loves us to the end of time. In Hebrew, the phrase, to the end, means forever. Forever. So Jesus loves us forever. When this world passes away, when things are made right and God's enemies are judged, when, this, when there's a new heaven and a new earth and a final reign of Christ in glory, His love for His own will be the same. Nothing can change the fact, this fact. And this is why Paul exalts this truth, saying nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing can separate us from His love. If we struggle with spiritual weakness, it's because we don't realize that the love of Christ is resting on us now. If we feel dry and distant from the Lord, it's because we don't realize how much He loves us in particular. If we avoid Him because of our sin, it's because we don't understand how Great is His love for us. His love is so great. It doesn't free us to sin. No, instead it compels us to come to Him and confess and praise Him for His unending, unfailing love for us. Hmm. Wow, if if there's any watching or here that are just thinking i i don't know what you're talking about i don't know this love oh won't you come to the love of christ won't you come and appreciate what that means i'd love to talk to you there's many who would love to talk to you concerning what it what it means in your from your perspective your heart being moved wanting that kind of love and wanting to respond to it from your perspective, wanting to to embrace that love. I'd love to talk to you about that. He's waiting for you. There is absolutely no one who desires your good more than Jesus. No one more sympathetic to your struggles. No one more interested in your heart. Nobody more than Jesus who loves His own to the very end. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, three in one, we praise You, Father, for giving us to Your Son. We praise You, Jesus, for making us Your own, for choosing us and loving us, that we might respond by coming to You We praise you, Holy Spirit, for the new birth that enables us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the ongoing work of the Spirit enabling us to commune with Christ, leading us in the truth of your word. Lord, help us to better appreciate and marvel at the depth of your love for us, that Jesus would love us before the foundation of the world creating us to enjoy fellowship with Him. That You would humble Yourself and become a man and ransom us at the cost of Your death upon the cross. Hmm. That You love us in particular, each one to the very end. Lord, our hope is in You. Our lives are for You. Thank You for the many blessings that are ours In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray in His great name. Amen.